Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome as our special guest for this podcast, Dr. Brandon Reens. Dr. Reens is a scientist who has contributed to various aspects of regenerative medicine, and he's also a medical historian, and it's in the latter context that I've asked him to join us today to share some very interesting, fascinating work that he's developed relative to a pioneer in the area of transplantation and reconstructive surgery, specifically the work of Dr. Robert Tuttle Morris, who is a physician and a professor of surgery at the New York Postgraduate Medical School in the hospital at the turn of the 19th century. Dr. Reeds, it's a pleasure to have you with us, and welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thanks, John. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. So I have perhaps opened the door in terms of where we're going to go with this discussion. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Dr. Morris in general, and then we can maybe focus on some of these specific accomplishments that we still cherish today. Okay. Just by way of introduction, I'm originally trained as a veterinarian, and I've always been interested in the history of surgery, and I'm interested in the history of surgery because I always struggled with surgery myself. I wasn't like some students who just could spay a dog right off the bat pretty easily. So uh, I became interested in, in Morris because he was the first full-time surgeon in the United States. He was the first surgeon who actually made a living at it by doing it instead of general medical practice. This was in the 1880s and 1890s when he did his main work. He did some really extraordinary transplantation experiments in the 1890s, which were far, far ahead of their time. He actually transplanted little bits of ovarian tissue between women, taking a bit of tissue from one woman and giving it to another woman whose ovaries had been removed. You have to put this in context, otherwise it sounds a little gruesome. In the 1880s, surgeons were routinely removing ovaries from women for what was called neurasthenia, which was sort of neurosis or feeling upset all the time. So this was something that was done routinely, and Dr. Morris was fighting against the trend of removing ovaries for no good reason in women and wanted to restore fertility and restore ovarian function in women who couldn't menstruate or conceive children. So the fact that he was able to transplant tissue that became functional at that particular era in medical history seems to be rather significant to me. It was extraordinary, particularly because the thinking at the time in the 1880s and 1890s was that the the physiology of the body was really dominated by the nervous system and that you couldn't possibly take a piece of tissue out of one body and put it into another body because you'd be taking it out of its nervous connections. That was known as the doctrine of nervism or nervism, which was predominant in the 19th century. Dr. Morris was a, a horticulturalist and actually did tree grafting experiments in his backyard. He would transplant bits of one apple tree onto another apple tree. And this gave him the background and insight that possibly the human body could also function without a nervous system, at least to the extent of transplanting bits of tissue from one person to another. So it was a very revolutionary thought back then. And it actually wasn't fully proven, believe it or not, until the 1990s when a few gynecologists started to revisit some of Dr. Morris's techniques from the 1890s uh, to restore ovarian function in women, particularly cancer patients who had been intensively irradiated and given chemotherapy, that actually they could receive just a bit of ovarian tissue without a whole ovary being transplanted and restore their ovarian function. Before we move forward, perhaps we take a step backwards. My recollection in what you previously told me is that Dr. Morris's original work was in studying the plants and how plants uh, regenerate and can be uh, grafted and so forth. 
That's correct. Yes, he was he was particularly interested in grafting branches from one nut tree onto another nut tree. He was trying to make a nut tree that was resistant to the blight, which was a terrible plant tree disease back then. So he had a lot of experience, as much as any other horticulturalist, in, in doing tree grafting experiments. And when he started doing ovarian transplantation experiments, he actually called the procedure ovarian grafting, which came from tree grafting. So the knowledge that he acquired in one field of study, which was horticulture, he was able to transplant to a completely different field of study, which was transplantation biology. The most extraordinary aspect of Morris's career and contribution is that he actually also contributed to the development of reconstructive vascular surgery. Particularly, he taught surgeons how to reconnect the two severed ends of a blood vessel. In other words, if a blood vessel, if an artery or vein is cut in half, he showed the surgeons how to reconnect the two severed ends of the artery. This was absolutely crucial to the development of organ transplantation because in organ transplantation, you have to cut the blood vessels around the organ, say the liver, from one individual, and then rehook up all the blood vessels attached to that liver in the recipient. So blood vessel reconnection, or anastomosis as it's called, was really the foundation for transplantation success in the 20th century. And the fact that it was Morris's idea that really pioneered blood vessel anastomosis is completely unknown. And it was a discovery I made really from first reading his autobiography, where he mentioned just in a paragraph that he had tried uh, blood vessel anastomosis based on his idea comparing the healing properties of the lining of the body cavity to the healing properties of the lining of blood vessels. He asserted that you would have to include the innermost layer of the blood vessel in the stitch in order to have it heal fully. And he drew an analogy to the healing properties of the lining of the peritoneal cavity of the abdomen, which was also lined by very fine cells that were then known as endothelia. And, of course, the lining cells of the blood vessel are also known as endothelia. He said those endothelial cells are going to be the key to regeneration of the two cut ends of the blood vessel. It wasn't really until years later when there were lots and lots of experiments that Morris's prediction was proven to be right. And we, we know today that the key to successful blood vessel anastomosis is to evert the two ends of the blood vessel, in other words, to pucker out the two ends of the cut blood vessel so that the endothelia, so that the innermost layer of the blood vessels can kiss when you reattach the two ends of the blood vessel. I just perhaps naively assumed that you just joined the two cut ends of the blood vessel together and nature would take its course, but you just explained that's not the case. A lot of the surgeons early on, including Alexis Carell, who won the Nobel Prize, even Carell assumed that you would not need the innermost layer of the blood vessel included in the anastomosis in the stitch. They thought that you could just leave it flopping in the lumen of the blood vessel and that the outer layers, which are muscular and much tougher, would provide the holding support for the anastomosis. So that was tried, and it just didn't work, and it took many years to show that Morris had been absolutely right, that you needed that innermost lining of the blood vessel and the endothelial cells lining the blood vessel to regenerate the two cut ends. This is fascinating in terms of how uh, science and clinical practice progresses, but I might ask just, how did you become aware of Dr. Morris, and how did you get engaged in researching this particular topic? As I say, I was very interested in the history of surgery in general, and I happened to pick up his autobiography, which was 50 Years a Surgeon, which at the time in 1935 was very famous, was on the New York Times bestseller list, and was actually the basis for a character in a movie. 
but he very casually mentioned that he happened to give this great idea for blood vessel anastomosis to his surgical colleague, John B. Murphy. No affiliation of yours, I guess, but... All Murphys are related. All Murphys are related in some way or other, right. So he gave Murphy the idea, and Murphy really did the work in humans in, in trying out if there was some way to get the two cut ends of the blood vessel to seal together. He actually tried an invagination method first, where you just you basically tuck one blood vessel end into the other and, and hope that the inner layer of the mouth of the second end of the blood vessel will hold on to the other end of the blood vessel. So Morris actually put himself down a bit in his autobiography. He said, I had a bad habit when I was a young surgeon of coming up with great ideas and then giving the ideas to some other surgeon. And he said he was a happy-go-lucky guy. He saw himself as an innovator, but he said that he didn't, he didn't follow through in the way that would have won him a Nobel Prize. And he understood, actually, his name was and work was submitted to the Nobel Prize Committee in 1907, but they passed on him, saying that the work was too impressionistic. Of course, at the time, they didn't know that Mars's prediction about blood vessel anastomosis was going to turn out to be 100% right and 100% true. We can see in long retrospect now that, that he was quite right about it. So I was just looking at some notes that you previously shared with me, and there were a number of important aspects to Dr. Morris's studies, and some of which you've touched on. So the first was that tissue and organs are not absolutely dependent for proper function on their immediate connection to nerves. Right. Secondly, that animals share with plants a body-wide communication system of chemicals or hormones, which is largely independent of the nervous system. And I think this has some significant connotations in terms of organ transplantation and regenerative medicine. That's right. The beginning of endocrinology, the beginning of the, of the idea that organs put out hormones, and these hormones are chemical messages that communicate with other parts of the body, was the beginning of the idea that organs have a kind of independent life from the body that they grow in. So Morris is very much a contributor to the beginnings of endocrinology, and the idea of hormones really just started around the late 1880s and 1890s when Morris's work was done. And he went to Europe and visited some of the German clinics and laboratories and met with a young scientist then named Emil Nauer, K-N-A-U-E-R. Nauer actually did the experiments Morris had already done in, in women. He did them in rabbits, showed that he could cure what they called castrate atrophy of the uterus in rabbits by ovarian transplantation. And Nauer became a full professor and a, a very distinguished and famous surgeon in Germany, based really entirely on Morris's work and never cited Morris or give him, gave him any credit at all. I understand from Morris's daughter, Mary Walker, who's still alive, that Robert Morris said many times that many of his techniques were developed by people in Europe who became full professors and chairs of departments based on his thinking. Of course, he himself said that that was really what he liked doing, that he enjoyed making significant conceptual discoveries and then giving those discoveries to other people to develop. He didn't possibly have the time to develop all of his ideas, so he, he was a cross-fertilizer of disciplines in the early development of biomedical science, really, in the, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. So to follow up on the other two points relative to Dr. Morris's contributions, the third one is it is possible to restore organ function by transplanting small bits of granular tissue, and you've just uh, spoken to that earlier in terms of the ovarian uh, tissue transplant. Right. And the last point was whole organs may be transplanted by severing and reconnecting their blood vessels if their inner lining is incorporated in the surgical reconnection, anastomosis, and again, 
you've uh, addressed that in your earlier comments as well. Yes, that's correct. That's right. Dr. Reens, I appreciate you joining us today and sharing these insights. I should also point out to our listeners that through Dr. Reens' efforts and the collaboration with Mary Walker, Dr. Morris's daughter, there has been a display established at the McGowan Institute that includes Dr. Morris's surgical log from the era in which he practiced and some graphical representations of these techniques that we just discussed in this podcast. As we conclude this podcast, I'd like to remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions in terms of topics to be addressed. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And I also would like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, which sponsors this podcast series. Until we meet again in two weeks, thank you for listening and best wishes. 